What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Suzanne Ringdahl, Special Advisor on Systemic Innovation at the international design agency Halligan, based in Oslo. So welcome, Suzanne. Lovely to have you here with me today. Thank you, Giles. I'm very happy to be here. So let's dive straight in uh, by exploring your particular focus. Uh, some listeners on the podcast may recall that in an earlier series, I interviewed Lillian Olson, the founder of Halligan, mm. where we discussed the different design services that Halligan offers. So perhaps if you could start by explaining a bit about your particular focus and, and why you came to be focusing on systemic innovation. Yeah, in, in one way, I would say that I am born with a systemic mindset and uh, maybe I didn't really know it until I started at university. And during my studies there, when I was taking a master's in uh, political science, we had this class on in political theory where we got to practice making models of different political systems. And I started finding that really fascinating. And I think that was the first time where I understood that you can sort of map up a system and, and try to understand it and also try to change it. And that class changed me forever and I've been looking for a systemic context ever since and uh, Halogen is an um, agency that is specialized in uh, systemic design and systemic thinking and, and I think therefore I found it very natural to to join in and, and work from Halogen. Yeah I mean also you um, I know because we've known each other for for many years um, you, you you grew up on on a farm and you have your own woodland a, a very large woodland yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, uh, your um, your kids have obviously been growing up um, more in urban life and mm -hmm. I, I think you know there's something about this connecting to nature that's important for you as well. Mm. I think I'm very lucky that I've been able to live part of my life on a farm and my father is, is a farmer. And since a few years ago, um, my sister and myself are, are running a forest farm together that's been in the family for a very long time. And being able to, to live with nature and see how nature works has been very, very important for me. And I think it's something that is important for people. At the same time, I, uh, I feel a bit sad because I haven't really been able to transform this to my children. They have been brought up in Oslo and um, I sometimes wonder if, if they will develop the same understanding for nature that I have. And um, I hope, <laughs> I hope they, they will be there and, and want to, to run the farm after me, but I'm certainly not sure. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? We're, we're, mm. we're becoming more and more urbanized and digitized. Mm. Hence the importance of regenerative. I mean, there's a whole zeitgeist really around the word regenerative these days. It's popping up everywhere. Mm. And I'd like to, to share with you a bit what you mean by regenerative design. But first, you know, regenerative fundamentally is about uh, working the way nature works, le uh, mm. learning to attune 
with the natural systems of life on Earth. Um, so what does regenerative design mean for you? And where do you see the challenges for people embracing this approach? This is a really interesting question, Giles, uh, because it connects both my um, uh, own interests and my professional life uh, with Halogen being specialized in, uh, in systemic design and systemic thinking. Although uh, when I joined Halogen, we used systemic design mostly to, to map out systems as they are today and understand systems not so much in, in, in trying to change systems or, or uh, transform systems. And, and, and that's also how, how we got to know each other because we started to, to develop a project to see how, how can we use our knowledge on, on uh, mapping systems in transforming systems. And we understood that we, we didn't have enough competence and knowledge in this area and also you have to be careful what you wish for because if, if you're going to transform into something it has to be to something better and good and that's when we sort of started to thinking about okay how do we transform into re regenerative systems or, or how do we use regenerative thinking and this has been a, a long journey for us and 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 uh, it's important for us that that when we, we engage in this kind of challenges, we, we have to engage in a good way. At the same time, regenerative is, is kind of a showstopper because it's, it's difficult for people to comprehend. It's something that could seem hard to grasp. People have challenges enough with understanding what sustainable is. And then here we come and introduce a, a new term and say, let's be regenerative. So, so it's also a challenge using these words. What I've seen now is that uh, we have to be quite careful how we talk about this and, and we have to, to adjust to the group we are talking to and, and the maturity level of who we're talking with. So maybe we have to talk about sustainable and maybe we have to use words as net positive, which could be much easier to understand. Although I'm finding that regenerative is popping up more often uh, these days. And uh, also just finished the uh, architectural uh, triennale and an architectural conference. And what was interesting there was that several of the speakers were using the word regenerative and they were talking about connecting with nature. So something is happening, even though it's, uh, it's going slow. Yeah. I mean, the reality is to actually shift into regenerative requires quite a significant mindset shift. And that is difficult for people, you know, it, that requires, um, you know, practice and, and mm. discipline to actually sort of rewire the way we're thinking, the way we're engaging with life itself. And people don't want to hear that. They just want to have a new white paper or a new list of things to do. And that's part of the reason why we've been working on the systemic playbook um, as a, a as a toolkit uh, to help with this shifting mindsets. Um, perhaps you can speak to this a little bit um you know we've been working on this systemic innovation playbook um in detail um over a number of months there's a whole chapter on it dedicated in my latest mm. book leading by nature um but could you talk a bit about the story about how we came together um, a consortium of different players um and why why we decided to come up with this playbook when we at uh, halogen started our journey to see how, how can we go from mapping system to trying to change system. 
uh, we found out that we didn't have the competence and we started looking around and thinking, okay, who would we need to collaborate with in order to, to get this understanding and, and develop methodologies and mindset to do this. And uh, looking around, we found out that uh, one of the actors is you, Giles, and, and your competence on uh, leading systems. And under, that's very important in this case. And we also reached out to Demos Helsinki, which is a Finnish uh, consultancy and think bank uh, that are specializing in in imagining futures and those two competences combined with our design competence uh, turned out to be a real success and uh, we advanced I think very fast joining together with our competences in understanding the system and visioning a new system and discussing how to lead this transformation as a system. And that's really what the, the, the playbook that we developed is about. It's, it's the mindsets and the methodologies that you need to sort of have and understand in order to, to do a systemic transformation. Yeah, and we've broken those down into steps and tools within each step. Um, so it's you know it's, it's it's I think it's very comfortable for people to start getting and then using and actually practically and we've been testing it out already um, with certain clients which we'll come to in a bit. But first, I just for the listener want to unpack a bit about what we mean by sort of systemic and the system. Mm. You know, it, it, it's it, I think a lot of designers get about um, systems thinking, um, but actually really understanding the richness of relationships in the system is important the technical you know the e economic processes the social the way in which humans interconnect and the ecological the way in which nature and life works and designers tend to map these systems using tools like giga mapping and so forth and yet often we're not truly systemic in the fact that we're not getting into the system we're not getting under the skin we're not participating in being at one with the systemic nature of the system and the emergent nature of the relationships. And so one of the things that we've done in the methodology is, is bring in an understanding of, of having to be systemic, actually tuning into the system by using tools like systemic enablers and so forth, where we actually uh, in, encourage actors in the system to participate in the design process. Could you share some of the um, systemic uh, change programs that we've been involved with and perhaps some of the learnings um, that have come from that that you've seen in, in testing this playbook out? I think that uh, we have, together with you, Giles and Demos Helsinki, have uh, had a few pilots where we have tested this out and, and Halogen has also tested it out in, in several cases. And I think what's interesting is to, to start to see what, what's, what's different with a systemic approach from from a traditional linear approach because i think that's sort of the where it all starts and i think that we are so used to think that the project is from a to b and it's well defined it's financed we know the team and we know the tasks and we get going but then we are not listening to the system and to the different systems that are going to be part of it we are very mechanistic and we are very sort of on the mission to solve something. And what we're doing is, is thinking a bit differently. We, we imagine the future and we understand the present and then we sense ourselves <laughs> into the future together with those actors that own the different part of the systems that we need to change. 
And I think that's that's very different. And it takes a lot of courage and it also takes a lot of understanding with the clients we are working with. And, and I think that may be the biggest challenge so far. It's really to anchor the projects at the top management so that they understand and want to be a part of this. Because if you not spend enough time in the beginning of a project to anchor it and to get the right mindset, it will stop. Yeah. I mean, we found, um, for instance, you've touched on there something about how, you know, at the moment, everything's pretty much set up uh, mechanistically. So you develop a, a project team, you have to get the budget, you have an investment consortia, and then you, you have to obviously have a detailed project plan against that. And that kind of sets it up. Everybody feels that they need that for risk management, but it actually sets it up almost to fail because it's already trying to map something out. And some of these architectural design projects, they're planning for 20 years hence, uh, which we can't possibly do with the level of volatility that's going on. So to build in that flexibility requires a significant level of trust between people. Mm. Because of course, a lot of the reasons why we nail things down in contracts is to sort of avoid uh, anybody not delivering what they said they were going to deliver. Uh, and, and we even noticed this in our way of working together, you know, rather than trying to sort of set up what the deliverables are going to be for a certain project, actually just have a an intent, a shared intent about what it is that we're trying to deliver together. And then having that partnership approach um, to then get involved in actually making the change happen. So shifting that mindset quite early on for these players to get that means that you set the program up for emergence um, and therefore has some chance of success in making change happen. Um, now, another thing that we've come across is how, you know, very easy it, it is to get carried away with, you know, the radical change that's needed in systems because, you know, obviously we need to move fast. We've got big challenges by 2030, reversing nature loss, halving emissions, so forth. Massive challenges that we get carried away with sort of radical seismic innovation that's clearly needed. However, what we're, we're learning is that actually nudges to the system. Um, what have been called um, urban acupuncture or organizational acupuncture, where you go in and, and apply nudges in a very intentional way, can then start acting as shifts in the system. And Buckminster Fuller calls these trim taps, you know, little changes um, that actually have a knock-on effect. Can you speak to that a bit? I, mean, I know you've been to Torino recently, for instance, and seen some of the work that they've been doing in, in Italy. Uh, any examples that you would like to, to share? Mm. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and first, just a comment on uh, on what you just said. I think that the most difficult part about these systemic changes is really, or the most radical part, is to get people to work together in new ways and 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 understand that it's it's not an A to B project, but it's it's more of a process or several processes that has to happen on, on a rig or a platform. And once you have sort of rigged this and understand it, it's just more or less nudging and, and, and it doesn't have to be very radical or difficult, but it's, it's, it's just the new way of working. That's, that's the hard part. And I think that is also something that is um, working against the way we, we want to use, we are used to work and, and back to the A to B to project where we have very clear deliverables here it's not that very clear and and you don't really know always what you're going going for and and that is sort of very challenging for for the mind and and also i think that picking on on the torino trip that halogen just did we we got introduced to to one project there with the autonomous buses 
Um, and they said like, okay, we have the technology and uh, we have the setup, but people don't really want it. Uh, and the citizens are not asking for it. And I think that's sort of part of the challenge that if you're gonna do transformations, you have to do it together with the, the people that's involved we cannot have technology-driven projects anymore. And, and if you're really going to succeed with these kind of projects, you have to, to get the, the citizens and, and the businesses and the municipalities together to, to work on this. And maybe, maybe, maybe the solution is not autonomous vehicles. Maybe it's bikes. So it's, it's, it's another way of looking at challenges and, and solving them together as they evolve. I mean, what you're talking about, the emergence that we have to plan for in these kind of projects. Involving these diverse actors in the foresight, in the designing of possible scenarios for the future, and then using those scenarios. So people are bought in, you know, not having external agencies coming up with certain um, visions of the future. People um, dare to dream. That in themselves gives them agency, already gets them starting to think about acting differently. But then holding those scenarios lightly, i.e. allowing them to upgrade rather than keeping them as some fixed outcome. Um, so there's a lot there to change, really, in terms of starting to uh, allow ourselves to move out of that linear into that more systemic. But essentially, this is, you know, it's, 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 pos it's, it's constructive, it's, it's enlivening for people because it gets them bought into the system. Rather than as being in uh, an office um, boardroom somewhere away from the system, we're actually being asked to walk the streets to get in and have conversations, to actually listen to how the system's working. And that can be much more enlivening for the designers involved and the project team. I think this is a really important uh, point, uh, Giles. And the co-creation of the future vision, how, how you co-create it, it's extremely important because in a lot of these vision processes and uh, foresights that are done, it, it it's easy to just use experts or, or get someone else to, to think about the future. But by bringing in the people that are actually going to be part of the change and make them dream about the future and, and envision the future, you have a different commitment and a strength in the transformation that you need. <laughs> because if, if, if not everybody that's onboarded in the project share the vision and, and can see themselves in the vision, it's really hard to get change and get transformation. And I think that also comes back to who are we working with? And, and in these quite challenging projects, you have to look for, for what we call for systemic enablers. You have, to, you have to bring the people that are willing to be part of the change of that transformation into the project, not the one that are opposed to it. And I think that's also different to traditional innovation because there is quite common to say, okay, let's bring in the people that are in opposition. Let's get some resistance here. But in these transformations processes, uh, early on, we don't need that much resistance because they <laughs> then we risk them to stop up. We need to find the systemic enablers, those who want to be with us on the on the journey. And I think that's quite important as well.
Yeah, and then and then really tuning to the system to see what are the knock-on implications. So by using live labs or demonstrators, prototyping that. So then we see that if those changes are being made, they're not just being made in a way that is in, a, in an isolated fashion. We're actually seeing the effect, the negative and constructive effect that that system is having, and then ad adjusting accordingly. So it's a, a con continuous adjustment. Now, talking about adjustment and change and transformation, I also know obviously this work has had an effect on you and your own life. Um, I'd like to now, as we um, bring this podcast conversation to a close, uh, talk a little bit about you and your journey connecting to nature. Um, how, how has this influenced you at all? Uh, I, I, I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's kind of changed me forever because I think I, can, I, I don't go into anything nowadays without having this mindset with me. Uh, but also being uh, careful because I think it's it's not about forcing it onto every project or every person I meet, but it's sort of as as we were talking about nudging and and suggesting and and just having having this insight helps me in how I orient in everything I do. I think, um, and also it's 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 a, it's a long journey because I've been interested in this for quite some time, and it's I, I, I like to compare it with. Uh, Pandora's boxes it's like you open one box and I learn something I understand something and suddenly there is a new box <laughs> that I have to open and understand so so it's um, it's a constant journey and uh, we are really uh, fixed in in the old mindset and and the me more mechanistic mindset that we have had with us for all this time and what that's been taught at school and how we work most of our work days. So it's, uh, it's sort of a, a constant uh, struggle between how I would like to do things and, and how things are done and coping with that. Yeah, it's, it is um, because we have to actually keep a foot still in the old camp, as it were, of the mechanistic mindset, because that's how much of business and systems change is operating today. So we need to speak that language. We need to bridge that language. As you say, things like net positive, whilst they're not actually, strictly speaking, regenerative, can be useful bridges for people. Um, and we don't need to confuse people too early on but we need to keep these uh, one step in the mechanistic and one step in the living systems and that can be quite challenging because we're sort of bridging two worlds now thank you very much for your time today i've really enjoyed this um lovely conversation uh, i i thoroughly enjoy working with you suzanne over the years uh, just to finish off any little tips that you might wish to share about thinking systemically i think that it's uh, about to start your own journey. I think if you haven't got introduced to this kind of thinking yet, it's, it's about start reading books, uh, read articles, uh, think about it, uh, discuss it with others, because it's a long journey and uh, you just have to start uh, and exploring it and uh, it will take time. But if, if we all do that, it, there's a chance that we get to do that, this transformation that we know, the shift we know that we have to go through. And uh, the more that get introduced to it, the better and the quicker we will get there. Thank you. We're all 
part of the tipping point. And thank you very much, Suzanne, for your contributions to this shift towards regenerative thinking in the design world. And uh, yes, an, an, a never-ending journey. <laughs> and on that point, this never-ending journey, this is actually my last um, uh, uh, interview or conversation before the winter break. So uh, lovely to finish with you, Suzanne. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Giles. For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.